Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman here with you on a Wednesday morning. Glad to be with you here on Super Talk. If you're listening at supertalk.fm or anywhere you get your podcasts from, we always appreciate our listeners no matter how they are coming to us. And we appreciate anywhere you are listening from in our great state, in this great country, of course, anywhere across the globe, especially our servicemen and women who are defending us. We are one day away from the 4th of July, which reminds us, don't forget, that uh, we will not have a podcast on Friday, July the 5th, uh, because Joel and I are going to take the 4th of July off. So we will celebrate America with you on the 4th. You can listen to us while you're heating up the grill, uh, but on the Friday of... Plus, Joel, i got to be honest with you, on Friday, that's sort of a day of mourning for me. Why is that? That is the day of the last B&B show. Ah. It'll be the one-year anniversary of the final B&B show. When was the first Thunder? You know, we passed the anniversary the other day of, of you, the, you telling me. Of the mega powers. Of, of the handshake. Ooh, yeah. Uh, but when was the first Thunder and Lightning? It would have been the Monday after. So we're a day behind. So it would have been, we aired uh, Thursday, July 5th was the last B&B. So the 6th, 7th, 8th. would have been Monday, July 9th. Our, our anniversary is the 9th. So a week from uh, today as we record. Get me a present? Huh? I'm going to give you a big hug. <laughs> and a, a laurel and hearty handshake. I, any hug you give would kind of be a Oh, it's like that, okay? We're doing that. Oh, so that's where we're going to go here. Not as big as it would have been when we started Thunder and I guess you're right hey. about that. I guess you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. July, uh, sort of an emotional month. Yeah. A little, up, a little up and down. But also, though, you know, we're taking the 4th off, so there won't be a pod on the 5th. But if you take a day off from us... Then you could just listen to us on the fifth, right? The show that we did on the fourth. Yeah. Now, you know, we're gonna probably wish you a happy fourth on the fifth. Yeah. But you'll get over it. Of course, I've also heard before if you have a fifth on the third, you won't see the fourth. So we'll see. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, Borky's been talking about this party he's having on the third. I'm gonna have to drop that on him. Like, just don't forget, if you have a fifth on the third, you might not see the fourth. That's right. Oh, uh, that's pretty good. That's I second that. That's very good. Uh, today's show, we're going to preview uh, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Not really preview that game so much as we're going to look at the Arkansas Razorbacks with our friend Andrew Hutchinson, who covers the Hogs for Rivals.com. Hogbeat.com is the website there. Uh, but we are going to start off talking about the, 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 the guy who's been the topic of the offseason. That's Tommy Stevens. Uh, I'm sure you saw it. If you follow either one of us on Twitter, I'm sure we, I think I retweeted it. I think Joel did as well. Jim Nagy. A guy who, you know, from what I can tell, throws around compliments like they're manhole covers. Doesn't not much for the uh, the praise is Jim Nagy, uh, a longtime NFL scout and a guy who's who now works with the Senior Bowl. So a guy who knows what he's talking about when it comes to evaluating college prospects, I would imagine, uh, was very high in his praise of Tommy Stevens at the Manning Passing Camp, the Manning Passing Academy. Said he can, quote, spin it. Said, you know, you knew he was big, you knew he was a good athlete, but he showed a lot of arm talent down there with some of the elite quarterbacks in this country. We've been talking about Tommy Stevens nonstop, it seems, basically since he made his decision to come to Mississippi State. And I feel like there's two groups of people he's got to win over. Now, one, I don't know how big that group is. The other one, I know exactly how big it is. It's about 85 guys, 84 other guys, uh, and that's the locker room. Do you buy into the idea that of locker room dissension? Do you, or is it is it overplayed? I I think personally it's overhyped and overplayed. 
I think it's overplayed a little bit, yeah. Now, I do think that there are people inside that locker room that Keaton's their boy, you know. like he He's the guy that, you know, they've been around for the last few years. He's the guy that they're friends with, and here comes this outsider in. Um, so I can buy a little bit that you're disappointed that your buddy, if you feel like he might not either A, get a fair shot, or B, they brought in this guy to replace your buddy kind of deal. I can get to where there are some there may be some frustration there a little bit. Um, you know, if, 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 if super talk were to bring in someone else and tell me, Hey, here's your new thunder, regardless of how good that person is, I'd be like, Oh, wait a second. Yeah. You know, I mean, cause I love you, Brian, oh, well, thank but you, you know, I, I just, I can obviously, you know, I, I think anybody can relate to the fact that if you feel like your buddy may be getting replaced or whatever, you might be a little not happy with that. So I, I don't know if dissension is the right word, but unrest, I could definitely see that being a thing. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I think that's a natural human emotion. Where I think that you have to draw the line, though, is to make sure that that unrest doesn't become something that, you know, rips the locker room apart kind of thing. And, and look, these guys are athletes. I, I tend to think I they're smarter like, than that, though. I, I, I do they, too. I think they buy into the idea that you know, all those guys want to go to the NFL. And the NFL is a business, man. You wake up one day, and the next day the guy sitting next to you in the locker room is not there. Yeah. Uh, I think they understand that it can be that way in college, especially now that the transfer portal is a very real and tangible thing. I think they're starting to get the idea, look, it's going to be like this a lot. We're going to see new faces every year, guys who come in and expect to start from day one, even though this is their only year on campus. I mean, it, I think they're, they, they, they get that. Yeah, I do too. And, and, and it'll come down to this, ultimately. If Tommy Stevens comes in in the first couple of games he's starting and he produces, no unrest. If he comes in and he's not doing well and State loses a game or two that they shouldn't kind of deal, which, I mean, I don't know how many – I don't know if Southern could, you know, mess around. and I mean, that'd be a humongous upset. Don't misunderstand me. But, you know, if Kansas State or whoever – if they lose a game early on that they shouldn't lose, then probably everybody's pointing their finger saying, uh-huh, see, there's unrest in the locker room kind of – it's basically all just going to be results-oriented – and people are going to draw their own conclusion from that. But if Tommy Stevens comes in and he's completing passes and State's winning games and the offense is moving the football down the field and the whole nine yards, no pun intended, football yeah. reference, but I, there there is no dissension in, in, in that scenario. You know, the, you win, you produce. If there is any dissension, it goes away quickly. Yeah. And, and, and that, that. that's, that's the bottom line. You know, no matter who – who's who's buddy or whatever if you come in and you win and you do your job like you're supposed to mm-hmm. there, there's no room for dissension there now right. if, if i guess where you might run into an issue is if tommy stevens just stinks in august and he wins the job anyway right and you Which, feel like that's just moorhead's boy and he didn't give keaton a fair shot right kind of but thing. that seems so unlikely doesn't it I mean, yeah I, oh i don't think that's gonna Moore, happen at if, all oh, if moorhead does that then i mean it's time to go. You probably got bigger problems, yeah, yeah than just that. I mean, he just brought him in like I just don't like any of these guys. So you know, and I think the thing to remember with Tommy Stevens is this: couldn't have known it was going to happen. Couldn't have had any you know any forewarning back in you know December. And and it's not like Joe Moorhead didn't go for a transfer quarterback before. He went for Kelly Bryant, and if Kelly Bryant had committed to Mississippi State, Tommy Stevens would not be here. That would be there would be no question about that. So again. You know, we, we've talked about it so many times. Keaton Thompson, it's obvious that Joe Moorhead isn't satisfied with, with where Keaton is and felt like he had to do something 
to get him there. And I agree. I think the teammates are going to buy in. Now we talk about the fan base. Now, here's the thing with this. You go to Davis Wade Stadium, 62,000 people at the first game, whatever. Of the MSU fans that are there, 97%, if not higher, don't they don't even care. All right? They don't care who the quarterback is. They just want to see their team win. You have the, it's it's as, as it always is the the vocal minority and the people on Twitter the, the people 3%. on Twitter and the message boards <laughs> are the ones who have created this. And I asked this question a week ago. You know, looking at Oklahoma's depth chart, is there a large portion of their fan base going? But what about Tanner Mordecai? Who? Yeah, exactly. The backup quarterback in Oklahoma, the guy who was would probably be starting if Jalen Hurts had not transferred in. Are there Oklahoma fans saying, I can't believe they're not going to give this guy a chance. They're just going to let Jalen Hurts come in? And before any of you go, well, it's apples to oranges because Jalen Hurts played so much. All I ever hear about Jalen Hurts is how much he sucks. That's all I ever hear about Jalen Hurts. He's terrible. Anybody could have done that at Alabama. He's not that good. So what are we talking about? Are there Ohio State fans and Miami fans griping that they got a five-star or whatever transfer? Hadn't heard many people in Missouri complaining they got no. It's it's just here, and this is a problem that has long existed uh, with MSU fans on message boards and on social medias. They are for some reason more loyal to the people in the uniforms, in the logo wear, than the logo itself. For me, if I'm going to put on my fan hat, if I woke up tomorrow and Matt Corral. Transferred to, and the whole Ole Miss team transferred to state, and all of state's guys transferred to Ole Miss. And Matt Luke was the head coach here, and Kermit Davis and might be. They're my guys now. <laughs> I'm on board with them. All right, Matt Corral's the best quarterback in America to me. You know, I got I got full faith that Mike McIntyre is going to turn that defense around. That's what a fan is supposed to be, but it's turned into this whole. I support Keaton. But that's not supporting Mississippi State because the leadership at Mississippi State has has is telling you without telling you they are telling you Keaton Thompson is not ready. He's not the guy. We need a bridge. We need to give this guy the reins this year, and then we'll see what happens after that. And you don't want to buy it. And these are also the same people who, if you God forbid, you question a play call. Well, co- where did you coach? You know better than coach. You coach. Do you? Where you ever do? Well, I'm not a chef either, but I know when my steak's not cooked. <laughs> Drives me insane. <laughs> who are these? Pe- I feel like Jerry Seinfeld. Who are these people? <laughs> you summed that up as well as I've ever heard it summed up anywhere. That the whole the whole thing with sports is. What do we hear all the time? You play for the name on the front of the jersey, the not the front name on, of the jersey. And, and, and there is a look, and, and we're not talking to everybody or whatever. It is just an observation. But there are a segment of people that are more seem to be more loyal to the name on the back of the jersey than the school they represent. Yeah. And and, and the fact of the matter is that's a pro football. That's a pro sports thing to me. I have a uh, my cousin Stephen Agostinelli. He'll tell you he was a Shaq fan. So where Shaq went, he went. So he left the Lakers to cheer for the Heat. And I don't have a huge issue with that, right? I'm a team guy, but I, I get that, right? Because the guys, the players last longer than four years. And if you know, somebody is there for eight, nine, ten years, and then he leaves and you just, you've built yourself into cheering for that guy, I get it, you know? Yeah. I bet a lot of Peyton Manning, a lot of Colts fans became Bronco fans. I'm um, just trying to think around, you know, some other... Well, you know, I mean, it, this is also... If Chipper a... Jones had been traded 
You would probably wouldn't have given up on the Braves. But I still rooted for Chipper. But you still rooted for Chipper. And, and, I mean, this is a, a closer-to-home example because he is a state guy, but if, if that gets dealt to the 49ers or something. You, we're going to pick up a lot of 49er fans in this state. Absolutely. Immediately. So, no question. Um, but, yeah, at, at Mississippi State or, or the school that you graduated from or that you grew up cheering for or whatever, I will never understand if you're one of those people that don't, support what's in the best interest of and the school like i said there's and, just so much hypocrisy of these are the same people who will get on you if you question the coaches during the games but they're questioning the hell out of the coaches right now and it doesn't make any sense i don't get it and it, it makes my head hurt just a little bit <laughs> and, and the thing is too i mean i think tommy stevens is going to be your starter but i also think that joe moorhead is smart enough that if he goes out there and sucks Keaton's going to play. You know, Keaton's going to yeah. take over the reins. He's not just going to continually, I don't think. I mean, I guess maybe, you know, last year, I know we've had the conversation before, some coaches would rather lose their own way than yeah. than win their own. And, and you right. saw things last year that seemingly didn't change, you know, with Kylan not getting enough carries or errors right. or the running back. So we've seen things we before that, yeah. where it looked like some stubbornness there a little bit. But I don't think that if Tommy Stevens goes out there and, you know, is just – awful that Keaton's not going to get a chance that said I guess you could make the argument that they didn't give Keaton a shot last year when Fitz was not moving the ball to LSU kind and of thing. again so, I think that's more of they just knew it wouldn't be an improvement yeah yeah that is this is what they knew I mean if that if that scenario plays out this year Tommy Stevens is out there struggling and they, and they still in, don't put in Keaton well here's the thing then with, at that point Keaton needs to transfer I would agree with that the, other, mean, the other thing to remember is is you have another option this year because you could go to Jalen Maiden. Last mm-hmm. year, you really couldn't do that. You wanted to redshirt him. And this year, you have a couple of options there. You can go to Keaton or you can go to Jalen Maiden if you don't feel that way. Or honestly, if, you, if you're Moorhead and you, you're just stuck on the idea of, I want to play my guy, you could go to Schrader. You've got more options this year if it doesn't work out with Stevens. And I agree with you. If we go out there and Stevens in game one is 13 of 31 for 192 yards, a touchdown and two picks, I mean, the bandwagon's done. I'm going to be like, yeah, this isn't working at all. Because if you're doing this against the worst team, on the, one of the worst teams on your schedule, what are you going to do against the SEC teams? Yeah. But we'll see if Moorhead makes that, that, that transition. You know, that, that's to come. But the idea that, that somehow Keaton Thompson has earned this job through what? Because he practiced? Because his play on the field hasn't earned anything. You know, I like Keaton when we've talked to him. He seems to be a smart young kid, got a good head on his shoulders. I think he's very talented. But nothing he's done on the field says that's the guy. That's and you say what you want about Fitzgerald. In our, his limited time, his first year as a redshirt freshman, he completed like seventy five percent of his passes. Now that was the high water mark for him. But and this is the other thing: these, these same people don't be negative about the team, but they are crushing Fitzgerald, crush him every day. He was dumb. He wasn't a leader. He we couldn't do anything with him. But at the same time, well, I don't know if Keaton's going to be. How can you talk about our players like that? Like, get over yourselves. I mean, it's been a rough few weeks on the internet. It's it's <laughs> these these Twitter streets, man. You got to watch yourself. Do you feel like it's like, is it an older segment of the fan base that's tied more to Keaton? Is it? A, is there any kind of segmentation? <sighs> I don't there? know if there is. You know, obviously, I don't know because there's so many people who are anonymous, and yeah, and I, I'm not, I don't want to go down that yeah, that's road. That's not a knock. Today. I'm just saying that I, I legitimately don't know. Yeah. Um. So it could be young people, older people, you know, men, women, black, white. I don't know. Um. So I don't know that there's anything. But there's definitely a segment of the fan base that, for whatever reason, wants to buy in. I don't understand why they want to buy into Keaton Thompson so badly. 
I mean, from I'm a just, recruiting perspective, I, I understand it because it's a loyalty thing. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's you should be loyal to Mississippi State. I agree with you, but there's a so I, I kind of get the whole. You want to see the guy that you know came in for Fitz when he broke his leg, and that that came in and won you the the bowl game against I, Louisville a few years ago. The that. guy that you've seen kind of grow up in front of your eyes a little bit. I guess you want to see him develop and, and come I, to fruition. But, I guess, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with you though. I mean, the bottom line here is is winning and losing. Is winning and losing, and what's best for Mississippi State? Right. And if Tommy Stevens is best Mississippi State, I don't. He's got to be the guy. Yeah. I, don't, uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't think that I ever will. So I think Stevens is going to win over the fans though, because I think he's going to perform. And when he does, everybody will just jump on on board. And then there'll be a lot of oh, this was a Tommy Stevens fan from a lot of people who weren't. So and that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, and then you'll, uh, you know, couldn't you see a scenario playing? I mean, God forbid, nobody's rooting for Tommy Stevens to get hurt. Don't misunderstand me, but couldn't you see a scenario where states and and like the, you know, the Egg Bowl that might not be a great illustration, but like an Ala- down a tough path, like here. an Alabama or something, and Tommy Stevens gets hurt, and it's a close game late somehow, and Keaton has to come in and just plays the role of the savior, and then we get to come back on the podcast and have another conversation about yeah. how. People are so tied to Keaton, and yeah. he's now the same. I, I don't know. Maybe. That, was a, that was a heck of a, a scenario you just Well, I, I'm just drawing out a thing to where storylines being what they are around here, you know, yeah. we've seen all kind of crazy storylines, whether it was baseball or whatever, the last few years. I mean, that, there, there's yet another one that, that you could see play out at some point. Tommy Stevens gets dinged up or something, and Keaton plays the role of savior for a few games this year. And yeah. then this controversy just gets stirred right back up midseason kind of thing. So we'll maybe not. I, don't think I, I hope everybody case. gets on board with what's best for Mississippi State, regardless of who the guy is. That's what you should get behind. Yeah, like, I, I just – I agree. I'm with you. All right. I'm, with you, I'm with you fellers. <laughs> it's a good movie. That is a good movie. Uh, time for opponent preview. Uh, we are at the first week of November, technically. As we go backwards, and of course, you know, a difference in the schedule this year. This is the Arkansas game, not you know between Alabama and, and Ole Miss anymore. Which hopefully, I know it's not the case next year in twenty twenty, but I think going forward, MSU really should make a push to get that easy week thirteen game or whatever it is, week twelve game uh, between these those two monumental games on your schedule. That's just it's it's tough to play an SEC game between those two games. They've been lucky in years past that Arkansas has been so bad. Uh, and, the, and then the one year that it, this game was also earlier, they played Vanderbilt, a really bad first-year Derek Mason Vanderbilt team. Uh, that was 14, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And just murdered them. But, you know, it was Vandy. They weren't good. So we'll see if that continues. Before we, uh, Joel and I give you our thoughts on the Razorbacks, let's talk to someone who knows better than both of us. We're going to talk to Andrew Hutchinson. He covers the Razorbacks for Rivals.com. Hogbeat, H-A-W-G, beat.com is the website. You can follow him on Twitter at NWA Hutch if you want to keep up with the Razorbacks this year. Let's get his thoughts on year two of the Chad Morris era and Arkansas. We're into the first week of November on our opponent preview series, which means we were talking about the Arkansas Razorbacks with that game being moved from its normal spot between Alabama and Ole Miss. Now it's before the Alabama game for Mississippi State. I've got Andrew Hutchinson. He covers the Hogs for Hogbeat, which is the Arkansas uh, Rivals.com site. Andrew, thanks for joining me, man. Chad Morris, first year at Arkansas, I think we can all agree, not exactly what he had drawn up. Sell me on year two. Why Why is Arkansas going to be better this season? Well, I think the biggest reason is you, there's only one way to go, and that's up. Uh, two and ten last year was, was just not good at all. Uh, you know, a, a blowout loss to North Texas, 
uh, a loss to Colorado State, uh, some other ugly losses along the way, but those are the two that kind of jump out and are kind of the difference between a you know the worst season in program history type season or just your everyday average you know bad season like we've seen with you know John L. Smith in recent years, Brett Bielema in recent years. Uh, but yeah, last year was was about as low as you can go. Uh, and so really there's nowhere to go but up. Uh, it's just a matter of how far up they go. Uh, I still don't quite see this being a bowl team, but I do think that this is a team that, that should win its non-conference games, which uh, are all very winnable games. There's no really big uh, non-conference game on the slate, thanks to Michigan pulling out a few years ago, probably a blessing in disguise uh, for Arkansas if they have you know any hope of getting to a bowl game. And I think they're going to be a little bit more competitive in SEC play, and I, and I see them trying, you know, maybe stealing a game uh, in SEC play. So uh, they're they're going to be better, but again, I still don't see them. You know, I, I don't think they're going to make uh, you know noise and compete for a conference championship or anything like that. But they they should be better. Obviously, well, you know, changing over from Bielema to Chad Morris, the biggest change was going to have to be at the quarterback position and what, what Arkansas was asking of that position. The Hogs have dipped into the transfer market this offseason, just as Mississippi State has. What's the QB situation there in Arkansas for this season? Yeah, as you mentioned, they got a couple of transfers in. Uh, you know, Ben Hicks from SMU, he's a guy that uh, has all of SMU's career passing records, uh, just very prolific during his time there obviously played for Chad Morris. I think his first uh, three years in college were with Chad Morris at the helm, and then he played uh, last year under their new leadership. Uh, didn't quite fit there and, and wanted to get back with, with Chad Morris and come into the SEC, have a chance to, to play at the highest level. And then also they added Nick Starkle from Texas A&M, uh, who had some starting experience there with the Aggies, who actually has that SEC experience. Um, so both of those guys are going to be competing for the starting job. Ben Hicks probably has uh, the the lead right now just because he was here and went through spring ball and has the familiarity with the offense and with Chad Morris. Uh, but again, you know, Nick Starkle may be the more talented of the two, and he's also a guy that is going to be a, a two-year grad transfer where he gets to play this year and next. Uh, so he's a guy that I, I, I would not be surprised if he eventually, especially by the time Mississippi State game rolls around, uh, if he is taking over the starting job. Uh, those are the two main guys that are going to be uh, you know, competing for the job. Uh, you could see a little bit of K.J. Jefferson. Uh, that's a name probably uh, some folks there in Mississippi know because he is from that state, uh, four-star dual-threat quarterback. Uh, very talented, but I think he's still pretty raw. Uh, I think he's going to take a little bit. Uh, that's why they brought in the, the transfers they did. And Nick Starkle being a two-year guy really helps. That would give uh, KJ a couple of years before he's asked to maybe fill into that starting job. Uh, but all the names that you know from last year, those guys are gone. Cole Kelly, he's gone, transferred down to the FCS level, southeast Louisiana. Uh, Ty Story transferred off to Western Kentucky. Uh, and uh, Connor Nolan, who also started a game last year as a true freshman, uh, is now going to be focusing solely on baseball, where he'll probably be uh, a, a very strong candidate to be Arkansas's Friday night starter next year. So uh, completely new faces. They had to completely redo that quarterback room, and, and they did it in a pretty quick, short amount of time with uh, you know bringing in the two transfers and, and bringing in 
the the quarterback of the future, I guess you could say, in KJ Jefferson. And then, of course, you know that's great and all, but they got to have people to throw it to. They got to have people to hand the ball off to them to make the plays. Who are the playmakers for this Arkansas offense? Well, before I get it out, I'll say they need to have guys that can block and give the quarterback time and create holes for the off for the uh, the running backs, and that that's probably going to be the biggest issue. Uh, but if they can get that figured out, they do have uh, some pieces, some weapons on offense. Uh, Trey Knox is a freshman, uh, a name that I, I recommend people remember. Uh, I think he's going to be a, uh, a freshman All-SEC type caliber guy. Uh, one, because he's very talented. I mean, he's a four-star recruit that had offers from uh, you know all the powerhouses in college football and, and was able to, Arkansas was able to manage to get him to, to come play for them. Uh, he's a big time, uh, threat in the, in the passing game. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Cheyenne O'Grady at tight end, I think is going to be their other top target, uh, as far as the receiving game goes. He, he, uh, has, has shown some flashes and was, was really good last year. He's one of those guys that if he just needs to, to really focus in on football and kind of get his head screwed on straight. Cause when he does, he is a phenomenal talent and I, I could see him getting drafted. Uh, in the NFL draft next year, uh, he's a very talented guy as well. As far as running the ball, Rakeem Boyd uh, is is the number one threat for Arkansas uh, when healthy. Uh, there was a, a six game stretch last year uh, in the middle of the year where he was averaging over 100 yards all purpose uh, per game. Uh, he was probably a guy where if if he didn't get hurt, I believe in the third quarter of the Ole Miss game, Arkansas probably uh, wins that game and, and doesn't finish last in the SEC West. Uh, but he got hurt, and Arkansas just couldn't couldn't handle the loss there. So he's probably the number one guy, uh, as I said, when healthy. Uh, Devwall Whaley is a is a competent backup. Uh, he has shown some flashes. He's had some big games where he's ran for 150, 160 yards, but then he's also had some games where he's only gotten 30 yards and just can't get it going. He, he's a guy that probably needs an offensive line uh, to block for him. He's a guy that if, if he played four or five years ago when Arkansas had that really big, talented offensive line under Brett Bielema, he probably would have been a 1,000-yard rusher. But uh, he's a guy that it doesn't quite have as much wiggle as Rakeem Boyd. So I think those are the two the two primary guys. Uh, you know, Chase Hayden and uh, T.J. Hammonds are, are a couple of guys that are big play threats. Uh, but won't get the bulk of the carries like Rakeem Boyd and Devall Whaley. So they definitely have some weapons on offense. Uh, it's just a matter of if, if they can uh, have enough time to throw the ball or have holes to run in uh, with an offensive line that I think is still a couple of years away from being a uh, what you consider a, a good SEC offensive line. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Whaley signed originally with Brett Bielema and, and would have been in that kind of offense had uh, had things gone that way. Am I correct? Exactly. Yeah, he, yeah. his first two years were with Bielema, and then uh, obviously last last year and then this year, his last two years are are going to be with uh, Chad Morris. Let's switch, let's switch gears and talk about the defensive side of the ball for Arkansas. Again, not a, not a very successful season over there, uh, especially towards the end of the season. They, they just had trouble stopping people. I think depth may have been their biggest issue. Have they addressed that issue this year? Do they have more depth, and will they be better defensively? I think they'll be better defensively, but again, that's simply, as I said earlier, just because there's nowhere to go but up. Uh, they... Uh, did try to address the depth issue. They they signed a bunch of defensive linemen and a bunch of guys in the secondary uh, 
uh, several four-star guys, uh, but again, those are freshmen. It's really hard to ask for freshmen, especially linemen, both offensive and defensive, uh, to to contribute right away unless you're just a generational talent. Uh, I don't know if Arkansas has any generational talents uh, that they brought in, but I think they have guys that you know two or three years down the line are going to be uh, really good, uh, but I just don't know if they quite have the depth this year uh, to be uh, to make a, a large jump, you know, back in uh, from 2013 to 2014, Arkansas went from a terrible defense to a top 10 defense nationally. I don't think we're going to see that kind of improvement, uh, but it could be a, a slight improvement where, you know, if the offense can come along and, and score some points, uh, then maybe you can just get one stop here or there, and that's all you need to win a shootout. Um, but I do think the defense, the defensive line particularly, I think is going to be their strongest unit. Uh, their best player may be a linebacker in, in Scooter Harris. He's a guy that's ranked near the top of the SEC in tackles the last couple of years. Um, he, he's coming off of an injury, so he's got to get healthy. Uh, but if, if he can stay healthy, Arkansas is going to be okay in the linebacker core. If, if he goes down, they're in trouble. Uh, they did not have a lot of depth at linebacker. That's it's kind of scary. There were some times, you know, as I mentioned, Scoot is coming off of an injury, uh, didn't participate in spring. There was a couple other guys that uh, were banged up during spring, and, and this, the, the linebacker depth was just scary thin during spring. So uh, hopefully they can you know, stay healthy there. Uh, the secondary has several talented players, uh, but a lot of inexperienced players. There's several four-star prospects back there. But they, none of them, even the older guys, maybe even a, a redshirt sophomore or two, uh, they haven't played a whole lot through the years. So they're inexperienced but talented. So uh, I'm anxious to see how that group, the, the secondary in particular, does during fall camp just because uh, we haven't really had a chance to see them very much. But, again, uh, depth is probably still going to be the issue on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you said it in your opening statement there that you know you didn't think this was going to be a bowl team in Arkansas. What would be a successful season for the Razorbacks in 2019? You know, fans probably don't think this, but in my opinion, five wins would be a successful year because that means you took care of business in non-conference, something you didn't do last year with the North Texas and Colorado State embarrassments, uh, and that also means you won an SEC game. Uh, I have no idea what SEC game that's going to be. You know, Ole Miss would seem to be a, a, a prime candidate for Arkansas, but it's week two and it's in Oxford. So I'm not sure how that's going to go. Uh, they play at Kentucky. That could maybe be a winnable game considering all the pieces they lost from last year's team. You know, Missouri at the very end of the year could be a, a candidate. Um, I, but if they, if they can just win one of those games, you know, no matter how, it, when it comes or how it comes, uh, I think that would be good for Arkansas, especially since they, you know, went winless in conference play last year. So, uh, five and seven would, would I think, be, would be a an acceptable improvement. Uh, although I think most fans would tell you they they want to get to a bowl game. I just at this point I, I reserve the right to change my mind after seeing how they look in fall camp. But uh, right now uh, I have a hard time seeing them get to six wins. Yeah, that, that week two game against Ole Miss, the winner of that game is going to have a, a, a shot to be in a bowl. The loser of that game is going to be in, in some trouble. And that's a that's a really key game early in the season for, for both teams. So 
We'll watch more of the Hogs this year and see how they improve in year two under Chad Morris. Andrew Hutchinson, you can Hutchinson, you can follow him on Twitter at NWA Hutch if you want to keep up with the Razorbacks this season. And of course, he's all his work is available at hogbeat.com. Thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, thanks again to Andrew for his time. Certainly appreciate that. You heard him say it there, Joel. Uh he does not think this is going to be a bowl team, but he does think that they can, you know, win their non-conference games and find a way to get a, a win in the conference to get to five wins. He th- thinks that would be very successful. Is there a bigger game? You know, obviously Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, big games, right? But is there really a bigger game earlier in the season than Week Two, Arkansas at Ole Miss? That's going to define both of those teams. For it really me. is. I mean, it's may yeah, that's probably a swing game for bowl eligibility for both him, yeah. teams. I mean, it just. Uh, I guess on a national perspective, it, it probably won't get the play because obviously neither one of those teams are even sniffing anything that remotely smells like a playoff. But but from a sheer postseason-bound scenario, talk about a must-win game, that's it. I mean, bo- both of those teams have to have that game to to navigate their way to a six-win season, I think. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a huge game for, for postseason anyway. We just talked about Tommy Stevens and how Moorhead may be having his guy is going to improve things for MSU. Is the same true for Morris this year with Ben Hicks coming in, who was his quarterback at SMU, a quarterback who should at least have enough familiarity with this thing to make the offense look like it's a little bit more competent? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's fair for guys, for, for Joe and, and for Chad Morris. When you bring in these guys that you're kind of – you feel like they can do your system better than who you had originally. I mean, at that point, the onus is a little more on you than it would have been otherwise. Right. I mean, you, you can't blame the other guy that recruited the other guy at that point. This is your guy. And and so you, you kind of sink or swim. I think that, that yeah, Joe, Joe is going to have that issue with Tommy Stevens. And, yeah, I think Chad Morris is going to have that same. Maybe not to the extent of Joe, because I don't think anybody really expects Arkansas to be all that great. But in, that's in one state, way to look at it. The other way to look at it is Ben Hicks has started games. That's has true. been a starter, so he should be better automatically than Stevens, who has not. I mean, it's interesting that's which true. way that's going to go. Um, at the end of the day, with Arkansas, for me, they just don't have the playmakers just yet. It's it's going to be a problem. Now their recruiting has taken a, a notch, a big step up. They had a really good recruiting class a season ago. They've been on some 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 quality guys there, and I think when you run an offense like Morris, especially for wide receivers, it's going to be attractive. You know, it's going to be, you know, he talked about K.J. Jefferson a little bit, the quarterback who out of North Panola High School who signed with them. I mean, it's going to be an attractive offense to different, uh, to, diff- to, to, to skill positions. Well, this was always an offense that was going to take a little bit to get adjusted and acclimated to Chad Morris' style. Because right, because it was such a huge It was huge such a departure. 180. I mean, it, it, 180 is the exact term yeah. to use there from what Bielema wanted to do to what Chad Morris wanted to do. So it was always going to be a process, and it does look like, He's at least got things going in the right direction. Now, will it ever get back to the to the era of you know Houston Nut had it going there for a little while and things? And <laughs> will it ever get back to that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But but I, I do think that Arkansas will get back to at least respectability. It's it's, soon, it it's always like. interesting to think about. Arkansas has been to two SEC championship games. You know, more than Mississippi State, obviously more than Ole Miss, more than Texas A and M. But yet they feel so far removed from it. You know, they, they have been the worst team in the conference since Texas A&M and Missouri came in. And then somebody made a really good point. They're like, there has to be – that had to kill their recruiting because you had a lot of Texas and Missouri kids who wanted to play in the SEC, and now they can just stay at home and do it. Yeah. Um, for you, I, you heard him say, if they got to 5-7, and seven, 
that's a successful season. Are you, are you going to agree with that? They just, their non-conference schedule is, is terrible. It's one of the worst in the country. Uh, but at the same time, it wasn't great last year, and they lost to Colorado State and North Texas. Who do they play out of the East? They play Missouri and Kentucky. They are at Kentucky. Yeah, I don't like them in either one of those games. Yeah, on oh. the road, it's tough. Their best chance to win, I think, is in Oxford. That's a team they've dominated recently. They had them on the ropes last year and couldn't knock them out. As he said in that game, if uh, Rakeem Boyd doesn't get hurt, they were running the ball right down Ole Miss's throat, and then they got he got hurt and they couldn't do anything. If they win that game in Oxford, I, I they could get to six and six. I, I could see them beating Kentucky in Kentucky. Yeah, kind of deal. And and, and if, at that point, I mean, that's a ra- that's a you're roaring you're success. Six, six and six would be a huge success. Absolutely, five and seven. I, I think you're okay at five and seven, kind of. I deal. think people like, accept that yeah. two and ten to five and seven. Then, but now in year three, you need to be in a bowl. Game. In a bowl game, that's right. So, don't know their non-conference schedule off the top of my head for next year. I have to assume that's going to be the point where they get. Uh, let's see if I can find it where they get a, a true Power Five uh, football uh, team on there. You know, because the, the SEC gave them a uh, a pass with Michigan backing down on them. That's why they're playing Colorado State next year. Oh, uh oh, uh oh, what we got? Week two, they're at Notre Dame. Woo! Gosh, why? That was probably signed like in two thousand eight or something they've like that. They've only got they've only got two of their non conference games announced for twenty twenty. That doesn't make sense either. Uh, that they would only have two at this late juncture. But they're Kent, Kent State, and then week two, they're at Notre Dame. Oh, that's just painful to think about. You're probably right. This is probably like right after year two of Brett Bielema, where they're like, "We're turning it around. Let's go, <laughs> Notre Dame. We got them." But at the same time. You go up there and win, your season takes on a whole new trajectory. So, but that's for next year. This year, I agree with both of these guys. If they if they find a way to five, they should be really happy. And if they can somehow get to six, then Chad Morris is 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 getting the job done very much. All right. Tomorrow's show, last show of the week, uh, we will. Uh, what am I missing? A box score for Kansas State, no, for Southern, Southern USM is game two. Right. Um, so we'll talk about MSU-USM. That'll be an interesting uh, topic for sure. Uh, plus, I'm sure we'll have some July 4th shenanigans to get ready for you. Some fireworks, if we'll, you will. We'll stand and say the Pledge of the Allegiance. No. Yeah, I mean, Some if you want to. We'll do, yeah. we'll do whatever you want to we're, do. We're inviting no one yet. What, what did Hank Flick say? Hank, inviting no one yet excluding. I don't know how I remember. Inviting everyone but excluding no one. I think that's what it was. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out. Guys, have a great 3rd of July. Talk to you again on the 4th. For Joel T. Coleman, Woo! Brian Haydad, thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi Media Production.